I think that's a key thing to remember when we're trying to work on ourselves or specifically with like the DBT stuff is what really is the goal? Because sometimes I think people have a perfectionistic, oh, I never need to feel negative emotions or pain again. That's not it, man. Life has pain. Life has fear, anger, grief, like really dark shit. And that's okay. Welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I'm anxiety treatment expert and licensed mental health counselor, Justine Carino. I'm here to help you understand the root of your anxiety so you can create new habits that actually stick. Toxic behavior patterns, dysfunctional relationships, and childhood family trauma are all linked to the anxiety you experience. And that's exactly what we dive into on this podcast. Join me as I guide you through flipping the script on your negative thoughts, setting healthy boundaries in your relationships, and cultivating a self-care practice that's as unique as you are. From my couch to yours, let's create your path to peace. Hi everyone, welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. Today's episode reflects true resilience when it comes to struggling with mental health. My guest, Alyssa Kurtz, is someone who has overcome trauma, depression, suicide attempts, and self-harm behaviors, and I am so honored that she was open and vulnerable with sharing her story with not only me, but my audience. Alyssa is such a special soul because she now uses the techniques that helped her manage her own mental health to empower other people to do the same. Alyssa is a competitive MMA athlete and the founder and head coach at Kurtz MMA, trauma-informed martial arts and dialectical behavioral skills training. Alyssa created this unique coaching method to share her refined formula for how she overcame her own dark past, freed herself from the shackles of severe PTSD, and saved her own life. The Kurtz MMA training programs are mindfully crafted to empower people to transcend their trauma and become an active participant in their life again. You know, you'll hear Alyssa comment of how she went from barely surviving to now waking up every day excited to be living the life that she's living. She really is such an amazing example of how you can recover and how you can have a good life. So, Let's get into this episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. Hi, Alyssa. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Alyssa Kurtz, and I'm a competitive mixed martial artist, as well as the founder and head coach at Kurtz MMA. And at Kurtz MMA, we combine, it's a unique style of training where we combine mixed martial arts, street self-defense, with dialectical behavioral skills. So emotional intelligence skills, interpersonal effectiveness, working through trauma, overcoming trauma. Because a big thing with PTSD is it so, you can so easily get caught and trapped in it with on a chemical level, the brain level, emotional level, all of that. And I think the combination of learning self-defense, getting the body involved in the process and then practical dialectical behavioral skills. This is so unique, and I'm so intrigued by this. So um, a lot of my listeners know I do more of CBT, cognitive behavioral Mm -hmm. therapy, and like family therapy, so family systems. But I've gone to trainings for DBT, and I've Mm -hmm. also worked in um, psych hospitals where that's their model, 
um, yeah. that they're being taught. And I also refer a lot of my clients to DBT once we reach a point where I'm like, okay, the CBT isn't helpful to you. This yeah. model's not working for you. We've tried some family stuff. Maybe you need to try out the DBT model. And they see a lot of benefit with that, right? So CBT isn't yeah. for everybody, just like DBT isn't for everybody. People <laughs> listening are probably like, oh, what are all these letters? Yeah. But so DBT is, you know, a form of therapy that is has been developed to help treat trauma. And a lot of people really find such progress. I know Lady Gaga is like such an advocate for DBT. Yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of been in the news more so we're going to definitely get into your experience with it. But first, I want to go back in time. So let's share your story. I know you have quite a story of resilience when it comes to your mental health. Um, and you're really an example of someone that's transformed their challenges into a form of triumph. So take us back in time. How old were you when you first faced trauma? You know, what were the beginning chapters of your life? Without revealing too many gruesome details, it was kind of straight out of the gate and then just kind of skyrocketed around when I was eight, when my dad passed away. A lot of dark family stuff. Like, honestly, anyone who has survived my family deserves a gold medal. Good job, guys. <laughs> Hang in there. So just like family stuff, then social circle stuff. It was a lot of different sources. Mm -hmm. And then just being a kid, not having any emotional skills, not having any resources, just kind of adding to it by stuffing. I would have all kinds of panic attacks, explosive rage, brutal self-harm, suicide mm -hmm. attempts, in and out of different psych wards, criminal activity, you name it. All the toxic bullshit behaviors, all of the acting out, I was doing that. <laughs> um, and I mean, I, I didn't, because I was not equipped. I didn't know how to deal with any of the shit that was going on in front of me. It's really just a miracle that I survived. Um, mm -hmm. When it turned from just surviving to actually like hope, like, oh, maybe there's a different way to do things. Maybe there is like actually hope and reprieve out there. Mm -hmm. I noticed that the first time I went into a martial arts gym because I could tell by the way people were interacting. I was like, whoa this is new. This is like a supportive, healthy environment. I didn't know that fucking existed. And I found that around the same time as finding DBT with oh, a specific God. psychotherapist who was very, so different than all the other therapists or psych hospital treatments I'd been to. The majority of them were like over pathologizing, throwing medication at me not really getting to the root of the issue. Um, but she just came in and was real and was willing to say things that could risk her own career. And yeah, by the time I found those two, um, and that's been for like the past eight years, I've been practicing these and applying them and teaching. And it's like a incredible combo. Mm -hmm. So I went from this kid at like death's door, like barely hanging on. Like I was ready to go at that point to now actually having a life that I'm excited to wake up to. And that doesn't mean I don't have hard days. That doesn't mean I don't feel negative emotions or fear or anger. Or I get in my bullshit again. 
I think that's a key thing to remember when we're trying to work on ourselves or specifically with like the DBT stuff is what really is the goal? Because sometimes I think people have a perfectionistic, oh, I never need to feel negative emotions or pain again. Yes. Like, that's not it, man. Life has pain. Life has fear, anger, grief, like really dark shit. And that's okay. Because all of us are dealing with that. And the thing with DBT and the self-defense is equipping yourself with tools so that when the pain comes, you know how to work through it and not get all tight and resist it or suppress it. So yeah, just maximizing your efficiency and how you show up for your life, basically. How old were you when you discovered martial arts? 17? Yeah, because I did all throughout my childhood, I was doing softball. I was like, this is not intense enough for me. I need more action. (laughs) I had that fiery energy that I still have to this day. I just know how to manage it now. But I was always like really called to boxing. And it wasn't until I started pursuing fighting that I found out that I have like a bloodline of Golden Gloves boxers. And I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. So, you know, you're saying when you were a kid and like younger adolescent, you were coping with your emotions and your trauma, the depression and anxiety, whatever showed up in like the wrong ways, but they were ways that were helping you cope. Self-harm for a lot of people, it yeah. works temporarily in the moment. There's yeah. a relief. There's why people do it. That's why it can become a, a routine, a habit, an addiction, a yeah. choice of coping in a certain way. Um, But we all know long-term that that's not the answer and that's not the best solution. You know, I work with a lot of people who have engaged in self-harm. DBT usually is the format that I actually send them to to help with that. So that that being said, you know, you sound, it sounds like you were engaging in a lot of behaviors, risk behaviors during your childhood and adolescence. That was your way of managing your trauma. You didn't know any better. You didn't know any other ways of handling it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, And it was just like, yeah, I mean, that's what I did. It was (laughs) on every level, just doing what I could to just stay afloat. (laughs) And yeah, and I mean, the self-harm, it is effective but it's a slippery fucking slope because Mm -hmm. it starts with a, I don't want to get into details, but you know, Mm -hmm. it starts with a little bit. It stops working or Mm -hmm. the bounce back uh, comes back sooner. Um, So it just escalates really fast. But yeah, once I saw that there was another option, once I was exposed to that, I was like, Oh, I can just come beat the shit out of the heavy bag. Rather than turn myself inward. <laughs> How old were you when you um, started using self-harm? I'm just getting a timeline of like self-harm and then meeting martial arts. How long was that for you? The physical self-harm. I mean, because there's like mental, emotional self-harm that we can do. Probably 13. Okay. All the way a- till I was like 21. Okay. So it's yeah. been, that was a big part of your coping. For a yeah. while. And then martial arts gave you this other avenue, which later we'll get into like how that plays into your program and, and DBT, which yes. I'd love to hear about. And then your therapist that you meet that you connected to with DBT. Mm-hmm. Do you still have contact with that therapist now? Yeah, it's Dr. JJ Kelly, total maverick in the mental health. Field. <laughs> oh, awesome. Fucking amazing. 
actually getting ready to teach a workshop at her emotions camp in Oakland. So yeah, you can go to drjjkelly.com if you're interested in seeing her stuff. That's awesome. What she taught me was the realness and she like lovingly kicked my ass to skills I have. Even when you start learning these skills and these tools, it's still a choice whether you use them or not. So she was really good at meeting me where I was at, not kicking me when I was down, the willingness to call me on my own bullshit to help me move through any resistance. I'm so inspired. I think that's so amazing because... You know, there's the the modalities, you know, the DBT, the CBT, this, that, the other, but it really comes down to a solid connection with the person you're working with. And it's not always going to be the right fit. You've experienced that. Sounds like you had other people you worked with before meeting JJ. And then it just took that right fit to really move you forward, which is so important. It's sad. A lot of the people that I saw before her, which was a lot. Uh, they ended up like adding to my trauma or making me feel more isolated just by enabling or not meeting me where I was at. So I just shut off and, or I don't know, it just takes a special amount of presentness to see what's actually needed. And I think there was a lot of doctor patient dynamic going on where it's like, I'm looking down at you. Not like you're a fellow human who's struggling. What were your experiences like with mental health treatment before, you know, you had JJ, what you mentioned that there's some inpatient stays, some psychiatric hospitals, I'm guessing some outpatient programs. I think I know the answer. It sounds like your work with JJ is what benefited you the most, right? Yeah. That's where you got the most help and support. Um, What were the other experiences like, you know, you felt like these were the doctors looking down on you. What were the inpatient stays like for you? Were they helpful? Were they useful? Or were they traumatizing? They were traumatizing because a lot of shit went down in there. Like there were times I was full on catatonic. Like I couldn't cope anymore. I just left my body. I was like, I'm done. Bye. And then there was a time I was attacked and strangled with my own hospital gown And then it's just being in that environment. There's no fresh air. You can't go outside. You're not allowed to exercise because it can be triggering for the eating disorder patients. The food quality is shit, which also affects your hormone balance and your mood. It's just like it's not an environment where someone gets better. But once in a while, you know, somebody would come in who was doing it right. And it felt like a real connection because I think connection is really important when you're trying to help someone work through specifically trauma. Yeah. Really isolating. But it was also like, honestly, at that point, I felt more safe there. Being on your own. Yeah. So it was kind of like a give and a take. So yeah. Um, I've done internships while in grad school in psych hospitals. And I've worked um, in psychiatric hospitals before going into outpatient care and then private practice. I think there's a big problem with the way psychiatric hospitals are being run. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need a lot of changes for sure. Yeah. And there's a lot of trauma in there. Like, How do you fix this problem? Because it's, it's complicated too, because people can be really dangerous when they're at that point. We need a balance. Like this is an actual human being, not like an animal we throw in a cage. Change is needed. Change is definitely needed. Um, And you you see that as someone that was in 
inpatient as a patient. I see that as someone that was an employee, um, but and that's a bigger conversation for another day of how we can make change about that. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you grew the most from discovering DBT and discovering it with this therapist that really met you where you're at. Mm-hmm. What do you like yeah. about the DBT program? What do you think you like attached to when you started learning it? I mean, it's just been taking, like, actively studying it all these years um, because you have to practice it and implement it into how you process things. It takes a while. Mm -hmm. But I think initially what I liked the most about it was the whole idea about black, white, reality is the gray, and the reducing mood-dependent decisions. So when you get emotionally dysregulated, trying to get yourself back to baseline before you make decisions, which is like identifying action urges and impulses rather than acting on them. Because I was doing a lot of impulsive stuff. You know, I love that you brought up um, the black and white thinking and trying to find the in-between. You know, we have triggers that we react to impulsively and we want to buy some time and pause one of my favorite concepts from dbt is the theory of the wise mind um so for those listening that may not know what we're talking about you know there's this concept that we have two parts to our mind um well actually three so we have the rational side which is kind of like the logical think robot no feelings just facts mechanical which is very valued in our society and then the emotion mind is more judged and shamed i think totally i like that you brought that up we kind of like praise that rational side and then the other side is this emotional side so we view it as like um little kids you know they just have their emotions they don't have as much rational thinking you know I have a four-year-old and a 18-month-old and sometimes like the things that they're reacting to and crying about it's just it's just pure emotion right they're not logical in the moment like they're crying because they can't like eat their Cheerios while they take a bath upside down like no you can't do that so then with DBT we talk about using our wise mind which is the combination of the emotions and the logic and reason, and that we have the best outcomes from getting into a space of wise mind. Is there anything you would add to that? Did I explain that in a good way? What would you add? Yeah, I think that's a great explanation. But yeah, the wise mind is the gray area. And it's gonna be helpful to think, okay, how do I know that I'm in wise mind? Wise mind is kind, and it's unattached. You're not thinking in absolutes, Like, no, this is this for a fact. And you're not like trying to control every single detail. The wise mind is kind of this flowy, unattached, clear, concise, just present mind. You're not trying to push anything away. You're not trying to cling to anything. And one concept that I love about DBT too is the use of the mindfulness Um, which I try so hard to use in my own life and teach my clients about. And um, that's one way a lot of people practice getting into wise mind is trying to, you know, practice mindfulness techniques of being really present in the moment, becoming more of an observer of the way they're thinking and feeling instead of reacting to how they're thinking and feeling. So for you, what do you, it sounds like you're a coach of DBT at this Mm -hmm. point. 
how do you coach people to get into the wise mind or practice mindfulness? So this is the whole thing with Kurt's MMA. It's I teach the practical, you know, Zen mindfulness and CBT combo that is DBT. Mm-hmm. So they learn the skills. And then when we get out to the training, that's the vehicle for practicing getting into your wise mind. So that's the implementation support. Already when you're getting in your body, you're in a self-defense situation, emotions come up naturally, especially if you have a background of trauma or assault. So it's this way that you can own your power and face an uncomfortable situation when all these emotions are going to be coming up. Um, And you get to practice observing your emotional dysregulation and how to get it back to yeah. wise mind. I love and not that. only that, all the modules are built into martial arts because it's core mindfulness skills. It's emotion regulation, distress tolerance. Like I just got my ass kicked for like <laughs> an hour and a half straight this morning. It's a little distressing, but I was tolerating it just fine. And that's kind of like, it's the radical acceptance of what is. And then the interpersonal effectiveness, like you need to communicate your needs when you're in that kind of exchange. People don't know how hard they're hitting or they're newer. Maybe you're having an off day and you're a little too frantic. So it's communication is a must. So it's a little more pressure on using your interpersonal effectiveness skills because there are consequences if you don't. I am so happy to announce that my first ever online program, The Path to Peace, is here. This is a step-by-step mini course to help you create your unique anxiety management routine in just seven days. This was designed to help the overachieving, people-pleasing perfectionist gain control over racing thoughts, manage overwhelming feelings of anxiety, and craft a self-care practice to optimize their mental health through evidence-based treatment methods. These strategies will leave you with a sense of freedom from your own thoughts, help you live more presently, and make decisions out of intention instead of fear. The course includes the exact process that I use with my one-to-one clients in my private practice that has resulted in them telling me that they feel like a new person because of implementing the tools they've learned from our work together. You can find the link to the Path to Peace in the notes section of this episode and on my website, carinocounseling.com. I'm kind of obsessed with what you're doing. I think you're really onto something pretty amazing here. And I know there's been a lot of like yoga classes that incorporate like DBT and help people get into the wise mind, but you're the martial arts feels like something that a lot of people might resonate with that aren't resonating with the yoga movement and why yoga has been successful is, you know, with trauma, it's stored in the body, you know, that, and like, it's stuck in our nervous system. I always tell people like animals um, have this unique thing with their nervous system. They can just shake out the trauma, like an impala getting chased by a cheetah. If you watch it survive, it just shakes it out and goes on with the day. We don't have that. So our trauma gets stuck in our nervous system, stuck in our body, comes out in different ways. So the fact that you're able to utilize your body 
through martial arts to help not only with this healing process of trauma, but to use the DBT skills. I mean, it's genius. Is there anyone out there doing anything like this? I'm not sure. Maybe. But (laughs) as far as I know, this is my Kurtz method that I birthed. Um, But I'm sure there might be variants of it. And it's even like maybe the martial arts doesn't resonate with you. Maybe instead Mm. you would want to do DBT and dance Mm. expression. But yeah, I think specifically the martial arts is so powerful because you're putting yourself in a dysregulating, uncomfortable position. And every single skill in DBT, there's going to be an opportunity to practice. And it's all about tolerating the discomfort, tolerating the uncomfortable positions. Like I know if I was about to do martial arts, I would be so uncomfortable. I would have no idea what's happening. I'd be scared to death, but it's like you learn how to tolerate that distress in a controlled environment. Yeah. And that's, um, that's why it's powerful too, is because we can work through those thorns like we all have these like little trauma thorns where if that gets touched like maybe your training partner has you in a choke and it reminds you of an assault you had that is gonna hit all your shit Mm -hmm. so it's like being the coach or the leader like there are times when something will come up somebody will start bursting out into tears Mm. we stop we do a mindfulness exercise we talk through it Um, so it's really about riding the wave of whatever needs to happen within the session, but it is, it's that safe place where people can allow that vulnerability to come out so they can let it go. What would you say has been the most important parts or tools or combination of things that has helped you with your trauma recovery? Would you say it's the martial arts and the DBT? Is it other things? I think the reason I've had so much success with turning all that crap into triumph was just this magical combo of DBT community, because also martial arts has a big community piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I think connection is really important when overcoming PTSD. Because it's so easy to isolate. That's a big thing. I still struggle with it sometimes is like, whenever I start feeling rough about something, my habit is to go inward, isolate, don't talk to anyone, I got to protect myself. But it's like now it's like, I'm not that kid anymore. Now I can be more out. But yeah, I think the biggest thing I noticed through all the treatment I was getting that was missing was the realness, Mm. the willingness to call me on my bullshit, to meet me where I was at, and then getting the body involved in the process. Because it's so easy to just like get so intellectual with all the processing. And like, you can overdo the processing. Like this is a lifetime of work, whatever trauma you have, it's like, we're not meant to be constantly processing. So So. getting the body involved was like a key ingredient for you. Mm -hmm. And that could look different for everybody. Like you were saying, like maybe it's not martial arts, maybe it's dance, maybe it's another form of movement, maybe it's yoga, but really using the body as part of the healing is is huge. And that was a big part of your recovery. And expression, even 
sometimes I would go through all the skills, but then I'm like, I still feel it in here. I need to like get it out of me. So either I'd go to the gym, work it out on the heavy bag. I'm like, all right, I feel better. Fuck it. It's in the past. Or sit down at my piano. Sometimes it's like, man, I don't have words for how I feel right now. I just need to sit down and create or express myself in some kind of way. Or go in my car, go on a nature drive and scream cry. Yeah. So much better after that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. So I used to dance. I was a trained dancer. Um, And all of that, you know, dancing is expressing emotion without words through your body. And it that could be addictive too. Like you're often assigned like a routine or a role and, and you're taking on you're like an actress like acting out the emotions of the song or what the piece was right but a lot of times for me it helped me process my own emotions right if I was like having a bad day and I was performing um a solo that was this really sad song at rehearsal I was able to take it out and I would always feel so much better and there's something with that it's like sometimes we're like trained societally to like go about our emotions with logic emotions aren't logic so sometimes I even feel like words are not gonna heal we're like we Mm -hmm. get too intellectual sometimes Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just you just need to feel just let yourself feel that's one of the biggest takeaways I've had from DBT that has taken a long time for me to really nail down the implementation is you gotta validate your emotion not the thoughts not the behaviors but every emotion you have validate doesn't matter what the logic mind is doing yet but validation comes first and then you can move into problem solving or whatever you need to do yeah yeah but But it's validate why you feel yeah it's like we're taught to feel shame for feeling our emotions like, th- like, think about it, men, the only acceptable emotion they're allowed to feel is anger. Not a single man who's not struggled with crying. There's a reason for that. Yes. Like, this shit is ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. Having compassion when you're struggling is powerful. So powerful. I, it's so true because when we invalidate, and that goes back to mindfulness, you know, being aware of how you're feeling without judgment, right, non-judgmentally validating yourself we often seek validation from other people like we want other people to be like yeah I totally agree with you and and I see your point of view like we need validation from other people but we have to learn how to validate ourselves and be like it's okay that I feel this way whatever the emotion is that is the first step because we often try to ignore and push away the feeling Mm -hmm. and we do that with the negative coping and then you like frantically externally search for someone or something to validate you that's what's so freeing about that internal validation system. It's because then you really don't have that cling to outside sources. You know that you're going to take care of yourself. You can trust yourself to validate whatever mm-hmm. bullshit or pain comes your way. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point is being able to validate yourself. And that doesn't yes. mean don't ask for help when you need it. Don't reach out. But it's not having that kind of codependent reliance, which we've all done. It's not a judgment thing, but the ability to have the skills. None of us are taught that. That should be taught in schools along with taxes and whatever. I agree. And you know, what's 
so unfortunate, too, is a lot of people come from households or families where off the get-go, they've been invalidated. So they don't learn to trust their own feelings, right? And so there's a lot of dynamics in families where the parents have invalidated how you feel and make you believe that what you're feeling is wrong or you shouldn't. So you don't know how to internally validate yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people have survived trauma in their family system that way. You know, there's abuse survivors that were made, you know, conditioned you know, they get beat up. What are you crying about? You have no reason to cry. Well, you just beat the shit out of me. And I have a feeling about that. So here I am crying and now I can't cry. Um, So there's a lot of dynamics, you know, in people's lives that are survivors of trauma. And, And our parents are supposed to be the people teaching us how to process our emotions And sometimes our parents are just really fucked up and they don't know how to process their own emotions. Therefore, they can't teach us. So it's like we need to teach this somewhere. Yeah, it's there's got to be a solution for this. Because like one, parenting is so fucking hard. Like just a second for compassion for parents. Like, holy shit, that's a lot of pressure. But it is. It's like they weren't taught those skills either. Yes. And then it's also it's like it's all gray, right? And there's accountability for stepping it up and finding the skills you need to show up for your kid. Yeah. But then it's like, you got to have a backup for this because there's a lot of people fucking it up. So it's like, can we get this in schools? Like, we got to do something here. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Like, we have to do something because and then dysfunctional family patterns, dysfunctional emotional patterns, they're repeated, they're passed down. It's a generational dysfunction, generational trauma, repeating, repeating, repeating until someone's a cycle breaker and is like, nope, I can't live this way and I don't want anyone else living this way. I'm going to work on myself, fix myself. Yeah, I'm all about it being taught in schools or programming where it's just there, it's accessible. Um, It's not accessible to everybody, these skills, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's like, it's, the power is getting to them early because yeah. even if they're say they're in a toxic family system, but they have, they go to school and they have this hope that means so fucking much. Yeah. That can be the difference between life and death. I'm not even fucking kidding. Yeah. Like, and just, there's a group of girls I'm working with now that are like 11 and 12. Holy shit. It's like how they pick this stuff up. It's like they're the most emotionally intelligent badasses at 12 years old. That's awesome. Like, I just like, I'm so excited thinking about where they're going to be by the time they're 30. Like, <laughs> they're going to be like so differentiated and in touch with right? themselves. No one will be able to mess with them. I love yeah. that. So when you, when you do your coaching, is it a group format? Is it one-to-one? Is it a combination of that? Um, it's mostly group. Once in a while, I'll do one-on-ones, but I think the group dynamic is pretty important. Yeah. Well, because also then they can train together and I can observe and coach. If it's one-on-one, then it's kind of, I got to jump in and train with you. Mm. Um, But I think the group dynamic is important because that activates some patterns too. Family systems, hierarchies, all that. The most basic animal system, right? Social. Yeah, I usually do small groups. Once in a while, I'll do bigger groups, but... And that's where you see a lot of the change. You see that's where people probably make the most progress is in that kind of format. Yeah, because it's... And you you connect more. If it's just one-on-one, it can get kind of 
a little bit narcy sometimes because it's just focusing on this one person the whole time. I think when there's a group involved, you're not only the client or the student is not only focused on taking care of their own emotional well-being, but they have to acknowledge that there's another human that is just as important. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. I think it's the group is a powerful thing. And I mean, in a lot of mental health treatment or support that we need, research shows that the group dynamic is really powerful. Like we look at that in the model with AA, right? AA and NA. I'm thinking of so many different models of this, like even women struggling, struggling with like infertility, they feel more connected when they're around other women struggling the same um, situation. It's so important. So I could see how powerful that is for you and what you're doing. I mean, we're just social animals too. And it's, again, that connection for getting through things is really powerful. Even just, it makes you feel less alone. It's like, oh, we're all broken and fucked up. Cool. (laughs) I feel less alone in that. It's not just me. (laughs) Yes. You know, I had someone say to me this week too, and I'm just resonating with what you're saying is um, because of the pandemic, like work situations, everyone started working from home and they're isolated. And now in some places people are back full time or a few days a week and they, they go back those days that they're in office and they're like, oh, it feels so good to like have the coffee talk and the water cooler talk. But, oh, there's other people in the same boat as me complaining about the workload we have this week. Whereas when I'm working from home by myself, I have no one to complain to about my boss or this assignment or that. There's some camaraderie that people really didn't realize they missed until they went back to work in the office. We don't do good in isolation. No. And I mean, I've been like, I've been thrown in the isolation unit in the psych wards, man. Like, <sighs> and I spent a lot of my childhood isolating because I needed to protect myself. It was useful then, but, and I mean, I'm still like, I think alone time to reflect on yourself or whatever you need is really important too. But again, it's like that balance, right? Yeah. You need that time just to yourself, fill up your own cup, however you need to. But it's like that connection is really important. This has been awesome. I can't thank you enough. Is there anything you'd want to say to listeners that might be going through trauma or recovering from struggles with PTSD? Anything you'd want to say um, to leave them with? One thing to take away from this, just today, validate your emotions. And just have some compassion for yourself. Because this shit is hard, man. It's hard. It's like your chemicals, your neuroscience, it's all working against you. We don't have enough skills out here being taught. So it's having compassion. Like it's okay. It's going to be a step at a time. You might take a few steps up. You might fall down. You will fall down. You will. It's not linear. Surrender, do what you got to do and have some compassion for yourself. I love that. Thank you so much. How can listeners find you and reach out to you if they want to connect? So KurtzMMA.com or KurtzMMA at gmail.com, K-U-R-T-Z.com. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. I'll make sure I link all of that in our show notes so people can find you. Thank you so much, Alyssa. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Wow. I, I'm just really honored that Alyssa was able to really share her personal story with us, but I'm also really impressed and obsessed with this 
coaching model that she has going. It's genius. It's combining the body and empowerment with these DBT skills. I can see how so many people would really benefit from this type of coaching. I'm just amazed. I really am. And I'm so moved by her trauma recovery. It's pretty incredible. You know, if you enjoyed this episode, you may also want to listen to episode number nine titled Diagnosed with Bipolar Disorder in My 30s with comedian Candy Lawrence. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to rate or review this episode or this podcast in general so I can get this content out into the world and support more people on their mental health journeys. I hope you enjoyed listening to the information shared during this episode. For complimentary anxiety management tools, you can head over to my website, carinocounseling.com. Thank you so much for listening and go enjoy all the moments your day has to offer you.